0: We'll stay in Psalm 97, and I'll show you a few reasons why I chose that for our scripture reading today. If you missed Sunday school or you're watching this, uh, let me encourage you to go back and watch Sunday school. This Sunday school uh, today probably had the most scripture of any Sunday school we've had all year. Uh, Jeff did a masterful job of getting probably 100 verses Uh, on the screen, and we look through it, and that is a compliment. That was um, uh, very good. Thank you, Jeff, for uh, studying and uh, pointing us toward the wisdom of God that we all need. Uh, I gave you homework to do last week, and I'll let you know uh, a few days of my week, I forgot to do my own homework, and so I'm laying in bed at night, and I am Uh, talking to God for five minutes uh, solely about my salvation and I heard a few comments that it was uh, challenging that uh, after one minute a person ran out of things to say to God and uh, so let me encourage you and you'll see today the homework is going to be similar and if you didn't try it you got to try it okay and uh, talking to God should, if you could talk to your friend about one thing that was exciting for five minutes, some of you can go on for an hour without coming up for air, like you just circular breathing, just constantly talking. And when it comes to thanking God for your salvation, five minutes isn't that long. And you'll start seeing I started seeing and as I was doing it day after day, started seeing patterns of what I was thankful for. Uh, and you can think through um, how God led you to salvation, the day of your salvation, the benefits in your life after salvation. I thought about the hope of eternal life a couple times as I was praying, and so the hope that you have because of your salvation, and it's okay to pray the same thing two different days. Um, it's okay to say the same thing twice in one prayer, uh, and thanking God for your salvation uh, should hopefully prepare you for Uh, thanksgiving. All right, so Psalm 97, before I get into the message this morning, let me show you uh, verses um, 2 and 6. The theme of righteousness is, uh, the gift of righteousness is what we're looking at today in in Romans chapter 5. And if you see in Psalm 97, many of the times I looked up the word righteous and righteousness. Uh, God was called the God of our righteousness, but this psalm in particular had two times where it described the throne of God, and the description of the throne in verse 2 is, righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. So when we think of God and what His throne is built upon, it doesn't have material like we think of uh, concrete or stone or bricks instead it has concepts here that you're always going to get righteousness and justice when you go to the throne of God and then look at verse six how the all the earth stands before him and can't even stand before God because of his power verse six says the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory So, all of heaven, as they're gathered around the throne, they're all proclaiming God's righteousness. So, what are are our loved ones in heaven doing? They're proclaiming God's righteousness, and they're in complete joy uh, for doing this. Now, look at how people respond at the end of the psalm, okay? The end of the psalm, God preserves the life of His saints in verse 10, and He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. This sounds like salvation, which we're going to look at in in, uh, Romans 5. Light is sown for the righteous. Where do we get righteousness from? We get it from God. And He allows us, once sinners, to be righteous. And when we are righteous, the joy we have comes from God for the upright in heart, Rejoice, and then we are rejoicing in the Lord. Oh, you righteous. Why? Because we are right with God. We're not trembling and melting before Him, as earlier in the psalm. And because we're able to rejoice, we're also able to give thanks to His holy name. All right, now let's go to Romans 5. Romans 5. I don't know if you are an optimist or a pessimist. When people look at a half full cup of water, I'll tell you which I am, usually, an optimist. Those who look at a glass half full or half empty. When looking at our salvation as Christians, we can be pessimistic at times. And making excuses, or people that are pessimists that refuse salvation, although Romans 5 tells us the benefits of our salvation, people make excuses for not seeing the complete picture. My wife makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. But those who are negative, and when they taste my wife's cookies, they say, can you give me the recipe? So she'll give them the recipe, And as they look at the recipe, some people will say, those are too hard to make. Or I've tried them and they don't turn out. And others will say, well, I don't like baking or cooking because the oven gets too hot. Uh, And a number of other reasons, I just don't have time. But if you're going to have the best chocolate chip cookies in the world, they do take time and a little bit of tweaking to make them the best. However, if you look at two of the main ingredients of these cookies, flour and butter by themselves. Well, most people don't like butter, but there are a few people that would just yeah eat it by the stick. Most of us, flour and butter by themselves aren't something that we really crave. I'm having a real craving for flour. So you go into the flour, and you just get a spoon, and uh, after one bite, you're like, okay, the craving's gone. <laughs> okay. We don't crave, some, some of us... Uh, crave butter on things, popcorn, corn on the cob, uh, biscuits, or something else. And now I know I've lost all of you because lunch is just around the corner. But think, think to yourself, you don't really crave flour and butter, but put together with enough heat, they end up being the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. When many of us look at the sure results of our sin and our salvation, all we focus on pessimistically is our sin and its consequences. Many people around us hate God. They hate Jesus. They hate God's Word because they only focus on the unfair Negative aspects of our relationship to Adam, to his sin, our sin, death, and condemnation. See, the ugliness of our sin, death, and condemnation is meant for us not to blame God with, this is not fair, God, how you have designed the world. Instead, it is meant for us to be so grateful to God that his gift of righteousness, justification, and eternal life is not fair either. Salvation is not fair. And that's what this passage of Scripture is going to put side by side in every verse. is one comment, another comment, one comment, another comment, so that we can compare these things. And if you just focus on the first half of the verses, you're going to end up with like a little child in front of his mom hands on the hips it's not fair i have more work to do my room is bigger and my week on the dishes that's when we eat at home instead of going out and the list goes on and on of that's not fair but when we look at our salvation we're glad it's not fair so is your focus today on the unfair connection of all humanity to sin, death, and condemnation? Or can you look at Romans 5, 18 to 21 and thank God for salvation being not fair? Let's read uh, Romans five eighteen to 21. This is the last three comparisons, of which 15 to 17 were the first three comparisons that we saw last week. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we often accuse God of not fairly condemning all humanity to hell when that unfair connection is meant to make our hearts grateful for God's unfair righteousness and grace. God's righteousness and grace that's on our account is not fair, and we're glad it's not fair. So we're going to look today at the unfair connections that uh, Paul wants us to see in 18 to 21, and uh, hopefully they'll show up here correctly. The left side, will go down through just the first half of these verses, Adam's trespass led to all condemnation let's read verse 18 again as one trespass and we know it's adam led to condemnation for all men if you just read that part of the verse you'd say that's not fair that's not equal why are all men condemned to hell for all eternity a lake of fire a bottomless pit where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Oh, that doesn't seem fair that all men have that condemnation because of one man's trespass. Continuing in verse nineteen. For as by one man's for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam's disobedient made us all sinners. Now, h- how many of us were alive when Adam sinned? How many of us were there in the garden telling Adam, yes, eat the fruit? We had nothing to do with that. We weren't there. Now, how do you like getting blamed for, let's say 160 years ago, slavery in our country? Do you feel like it's your responsibility that slavery happened? absolutely not. We weren't here. They didn't ask our opinion. How about if you weren't alive in 1973? Roe versus Wade goes down in the Supreme Court. You're like, I wasn't around, and many of you weren't either. And none of you were on the Supreme Court in 1973 deciding that case. So you say, okay. So we got some disobedience of God in the past, and how is it fair that Adam's disobedience made us all sinners? I don't know if you've ever talked to someone and said that you're, they're a sinner because they're human and they're related to Adam, and they'll say to you, that doesn't sound fair. You say, hmm, when you think of it, it doesn't, it doesn't sound fair. Unfair connections, continuing in verse 20. Now, the law came in, as if this isn't enough. The law comes in to increase the trespass. All right, so not only are we condemned and we're disobedient because of Adam, now the law comes in after Adam and just shows us how really bad we are. So Adam doesn't get credit for the law because it comes in with Moses. But God's law, given by God, increases all of our sin. As if we didn't feel bad enough. As if we didn't feel this is unfair enough that we are trespassers because of Adam and we're condemned because of his trespass. And then all of us are sinners and have really no hope of escaping the condemnation because of Adam's disobedience. And then to add to that, God's law comes in And just makes us feel even worse. Are you feeling the unfairness in your heart? You know what unfair is? Like whenever you feel like something should happen one way, and in your heart you believe it should happen that way, and it goes opposite of what you think. It's like, children have an acute sense of fairness. Acute we didn't teach them that. They got that from, from Adam <laughs> and from probably, yeah, from us. And a very acute sense, awareness of what is fair and what is not. Even if it's one gram off, if you get one more gram, a micro a milligram of cake than your brother got, that. oh, that's not fair. Okay, well, you know, we're not going to do this, play this game of fair, not fair, equal, not equal. No but then the law comes in and increases all of our sin it increases the trespass now if you're trespassing on someone's land and you don't know that you are that's one thing the owner can come out and say hey this is private property you're on it here's the line oh okay i'm sorry i will <laughs> i'll make that note if they're your neighbor or down the street you won't cross on their land However, if they have all along their property line posted signs, yellow signs all around their property, now you know where the boundary line is. They got a posted sign and they also sign the bottom of it as the homeowner, the landowner. Now when you walk right past that posted sign, the trespass has increased. See, coveting is wrong. Lusting is wrong is the same as committing adultery. And now that God and then Christ intensifies it in Matthew 8, uh, Matthew 5, tells us what is right, what is wrong, puts up posted signs, and we still keep going into trespass. Where the law came in, now the law came in, and why does the law come in? To increase the trespass. And we're feeling like we're ganged up on, like we've got no hope. And then verse 21, as sin reigned in death, so that as sin reigned in death. Condemnation, all of us sinners, God's law that just shows us that we are falling well short of the glory of God And then God's punishment for our sin, ruling our life, leads us, leads us to eternal death. And if we just looked at the first half of those verses, we would put our hands on our hips, shake our little fists in God's face and say, that life's not fair, God. I am not a sinner because of Adam's sin. That's not fair. I am, I am not more guilty because your law came in, and that's what God's Word says, but it doesn't seem fair. And then we are punished for our sin, ruling or reigning in our lives, leading us to eternal death and separation from God for all time, and we say, oh, that's not fair either. But this passage is not about the negative, because this is a sure result of our sure salvation. So it may sound contradictory to say, oh, this isn't fair. And you're sitting there like, yeah, it's not fair, but what does this have to do? Why isn't he he telling us the second half of the verses? We'll see on the second slide. But the unfair connections. Now... You'll notice in these verses the word so, so that. There's a connection. And I wrote unfair connections because these verses are all connected. Even the last verse started with so that. Okay? Paul's leading us to a a way of thinking that's going to help you and I to live a different way and to witness differently to people who have a lot of objections to God and say, the, the way God set up this whole earth and salvation is not fair, okay? That is not where we can land after all of the truth of Romans 5. Part of the truth of Romans 5, yes, you could get there. All of the truth of Romans 5, no. All right, so these verses are meant to show you some contrast. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led condemnation for all men, so... That, that word is so important. So, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The point of the verse is not the first half, it's the second. It's like in volleyball, a bump, set, and spike. The set is not meant to get the ball over, it's to put the ball right up above the net so that the person, the tallest person that can jump the best on the team can pound it down the opponent's Throat. Hitting the ground on the other side, getting a point. What the first half of this verse does, these verses do, is the set. It sets the truth right up above the net, and he's going to pound the truth right down. What is the truth that he's trying to establish here? It seems unfair until you have the whole picture. And then, you're so glad it's unfair! So glad it's unfair. If you're not glad it's unfair, you got to keep reading all four of these verses. Verse 18 says, So that one act of righteousness. Okay, so one trespass leads to condemnation. God sets it up this way. So that one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for how many people? All men. God's righteousness and justification is available for all men. God so loved the whole world. So now does 18 sound unfair? Well, yes, but in a very positive way. The most positive way unfairness can sound. Now, let's think of unfairness in your house, okay? There's two pieces of cake. One is much bigger than the other, And mom or dad says, okay, you're older, you have a bigger appetite, you get the bigger piece, and you get the smaller piece. And you are the one getting the bigger piece. Are you glad it's not fair? Well, yeah! Why? Because you got the bigger gift. When it comes to humanity, we as Christians are always getting... The bigger piece. Now, do you like it that it's not fair? (laughs) Well, yeah. One act of righteousness. It only took one righteous act to lead all humanity toward justification, being right with God, and then life. That is unfair. If you ever shared the gospel with someone who knew nothing about Jesus and nothing about the cross, this happened to me a couple times, one recently. I got done sharing the exchange of how Christ took our place. The response was, well, he got a bad deal. That's absolutely right. That's how to look at it. When Jesus switched places with sinners on the cross, who gets the best deal? We do. Who gets the worst deal? Jesus. Aren't we glad it's not fair? The cross is not fair. And that's the connection Paul wants us to see here. It's not about Adam's sin and condemnation and all of us sinners and God's law and punishment. He's, he's, that's just a setup for the spike. And the spike is the end of every verse. One act of righteousness leads to justification. Christ's righteous act can lead anyone to justification and life. And we are so glad that's not fair. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedient, the many were made sinners. Seems not fair until we get to the word so. So, by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Do you realize that you and I are sinners and we are not righteous? We sin all the time. We deserve death and hell because of our sin. And one man's, Jesus Christ obedience... The many will be made righteous. We read in Psalm 97. At the end of the psalm, there's an assumption that the righteous are singing that song and praising God for His righteous throne, the righteousness that His throne is built upon, and all of all of uh, heaven is proclaiming God's righteousness. And if God will save us from our unrighteousness, we can be righteous. And we can praise Him for His righteousness. The only way any sinner is righteous is by God giving us the free gift of righteousness. And that's verses 15 to 17. We have no righteousness apart from that. So the wonderful unfair connection is that Christ's obedience can make anyone righteous. Now, if you want to make it personal, you can say this God's Christ's obedience can make me righteous. You should never get over that fact. Only Christ's obedience can make anyone righteous. Verse 18 Only Christ's righteous act can lead anyone to justification and life. This is what makes Christianity different than all the other world religions. All of them are works. You do this, you do this, you do this, and then you got a chance of justification and life. And no, that's not Christianity. Christianity says because of Christ's righteous act, the worst of sinners can be justified and have eternal life. Because of Christ's obedience, his whole life was obedient. He can make anyone righteous. Now, verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. As sin is increasing in the earth, and you can imagine if you read through Genesis 6 that the corruption of humanity was awful, absolutely awful. If you read the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 12, and see that everyone on the island is known for lying, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. they were out of control. It would be an awful place to live. You wouldn't trust anyone. You just try to protect yourself from everyone, even your family. And in a world where everyone is lying, everyone's out of control, immoral, everyone's lazy, Yeah, sin is increasing. And as we tell people of God's law, they feel overwhelmed with their sin being exposed. But if you heard the gospel as an adult or remember the Ten Commandments and how you broke all of them, likely, you felt really, really bad, really guilty. Like, how do I get rid of this feeling of guilt? Well, The good news is it doesn't end with the law increasing the trespass because where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's like a wildfire getting worse and worse. And then a hundred million helicopters show up, darken the sky, and then just start unloading all this water, that flame retardant stuff that they drop out of helicopters, and the wildfire that was coming toward your house is completely obliterated, and they didn't even use half of what they had to drop on it. You're like, oh, okay. God's wrath is focused toward sin and sinners, and Christ comes. And offers salvation by grace, a powerful gift. And where sin is increasing, what does verse 20 say? Grace abounded all the more. It was so much more. So you may feel overwhelmed with God's law. But it's meant to just set you up for the appreciation of Christ's grace. Our closing song is going to be grace that is greater than all our sin. Aren't we glad that it's unfair? Aren't we glad that God giving us the gift of His righteousness is not fair? But it's so better. It's better than fair for us. And then verse 21. So that as sin reigned, In death, this is the direction of all those who reject God's grace, reject God's righteousness, reject the gift, reject God's uh, one man's obedience, rejecting uh, justification and life. When you reject Jesus Christ, sin will reign in your life until death. And death will reign for all time. Separation from God. Grace also. But this is not meant to discourage us. It's meant to encourage us with this unfair connection that grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. How do we get grace? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Whose righteousness are we getting? Psalm 97 says where we get righteousness. It's from the throne. On the throne is God. God is the only righteous being ever. As Christ comes, we could watch him, we could listen to him, we watch his reactions, and all of his reactions are righteous. All of his words, true and honest and just and pure, and lovely, nothing shady, nothing off color, perfect, perfect words, perfect life. If we could look at Christ's mind while he was on earth, perfect thoughts, perfect motivations, everything perfect. So what do we conclude? This setup of God's punishment of sin reigning in death is merely a setup so that we would appreciate and see that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more so that sin would reign in death. But grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. If sin is reigning in your life, death and separation from God is coming. If you have been forgiven because Christ has given you his righteousness, that will rule your life, and it will lead you to eternal life through Jesus Christ forever. James this morning t- told us, can we tell if someone is, has God's righteousness? Well, yeah. Why? Because they start doing righteous works. Why? Because God's grace is reigning through righteousness, and that's leading them to eternal life. And anytime someone's questioned why they're doing good works, they're not saying, well, I'm a good person. I'm trying the best I can. No, what does a Christian say when questioned, why do we do good works? It's only because of Jesus Christ. Only. We get zero credit for all the good works that God produces in us because we have no righteousness apart from Christ. And we're so glad it's unfair. Christ's grace might rule our righteous life, leading to Eternal life. All right, so when posed with these unfair connections, what are some responses? We're going to try to match the responses that you could imagine on the left here, and try to remember where these are on the page, because we're going to just see some reactions. Okay, so when you and I talk to people, and we tell them the first half of these verses, just trying to set up the good news, we're telling them the bad news. You can imagine, and you likely have heard some of these reactions. They blame and they blaspheme God. This is what we'll see in the book of Revelation 2. As God's judgment is being poured out on humanity, they're not turning from their sin as a whole. They're blaming and blaspheming God. I can't believe God would set up Adam's trespass to lead us to condemnation, and they blaspheme God. Second, when it talks about disobedience, Adam's disobedience made us all sinners, they would say, well, if I'm a sinner anyway because of Adam, I might as well just sin. If I'm, if I'm going to be condemned, I might as well just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die, so I'm going to live it up. Nothing's going to restrain me. I'm going to give in to my heart. If I want to lust, if I want to look at this, if I want to give myself over to all kinds of wickedness, I'm just going to do it. And so they give in to their heart, they give in to the uh, the world in opposition to blaming and blaspheming God and then Satan listening to the temptation of Satan and the demons and they disobey more and more and more and Ephesians 4 say their foolish hearts are getting darkened. When faced with God's law that helps them should help lead them away from their sin, what do they do? They're willingly ignorant of God's laws. So they don't feel as guilty. Often in talking to people I don't know, uh, I may start with, I'm out here, I'm talking to people about about God, and uh, do you know any of the Ten Commandments? Most people that I ask that question to cannot name ten they can maybe name five. Maybe. It's not because they're not in Exodus 20 or in Deuteronomy. It's because people don't look at Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy. Or a quick Google search will find the Ten Commandments, and there they are. Willing ignorance of God's law. Because if you don't know it, it's like... Here comes the posted signs when you're walking through the woods. And you close your eyes. I didn't see that sign. And you get past it. Oh, I didn't see it. Are you still guilty? Absolutely. Was the sign still there? Yeah. You closing your eyes, walking by it, didn't change the fact that you're a trespasser. It just helps you feel not as guilty. And if you will not look at your Bible, and as people, we give people a Bible and they're like, I do not have time for that. Why? Because there's God's laws there, and they feel guilty. Willing ignorance of God's laws. And then the last one, God's punishment for our sin, ruling our life, leads us to eternal death. They try not to think about sin, and they definitely try not to think about death until they're at a funeral, Then they have to think about death. They try not to think about their sin, and they usually gather around other sinners where they're usually not the worst one, so that they can feel good about themselves. And these are some reactions, there's others, but when it comes to unfair, the root problem is the top. The only one who can give them righteousness, they're blaming and blaspheming Him, and it causes the others. All right, now... In opposition, the good. What are the opposite of these things? The opposite reactions that we should have as Christians. We praise and thank God. This is why I'm going to give you another seven days to praise and thank God. Five minutes a day for your salvation. Praise and thank Him. Make it a discipline. Make it a habit. Instead of giving in to a heart and your the world, the flesh, the devil, and disobeying more and more, we're trusting God's spirit to help us stand against the desires to disobey. We still have the desire to disobey, but instead of giving into it, we're fighting against it. We're mortifying. There's other scripture that tells us what to do with our strong desires to sin. We have God's spirit. We're trusting Him. We're walking in the Spirit, not walking in our flesh. Instead of willing ignorance to God's law, there's willing knowledge of God's law. We are looking at God's Word because we don't want to sin against God. We can't get enough of God's Word. Every Christian wants God's Word. You may be here and you don't like God's Word. It's probably because you're on the left side of this. And this is a warning to you. But if you're on the right side, privately, you will want and seek after knowing God. I can show you how to know God. I can point you in the direction your parents can, other godly people can, but we cannot take the Bible for you and read it to you all the time and help you think about it. That's on you. Willing knowledge of God's law. Why? Not so that we feel guilty, no, because we got God's grace, we have His righteousness. No, we don't want to sin against our Savior. That's why we know God's Word and His laws. And then finally, meditate constantly. Instead of trying not to think about your sin and eternal death, meditate constantly on God's grace reigning instead of your sin. Look at verse 21 again with me. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, and all of us before we were saved, sin reigned in our life, controlled us, and it led us to death. But God's grace also might reign, and it's more powerful than our sin. And it is reigning, controlling us through Christ's righteousness that He gives us, leading us to eternal life. And all of grace and all of righteousness and all of eternal life is all a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. So meditate constantly on God's grace reigning. How do we live when God's grace reigns? We live like the top, right, not like the top left. You see how the top feeds the rest of it? Just like the left side, blaming and blaspheming God feeds all kinds of sin and disobedience and ignorance. The top right, when we will praise and thank God, what if I don't feel like it? What if I'm sick? Praise Him and thank Him anyway. Thank you for health that you did have. What if I'm on death's door? Thank God for the life that you had, the family that you had. You have so much, I have so much to be thankful for. Praising Him, thanking Him. Do you have eternal life? What can separate you from the love of Christ? Romans 8 is going to say. Do you have something to praise God and thank God for? Oh, yes, we do. It just gets better in Romans. Reactions to unfair. All right? It doesn't have to be fair. And we're glad salvation is not fair. We're getting the better end. The bigger piece of cake. So where do these reactions lead to? Well, Romans 1 tells us where it leads to as well. But here now, after this, we can build on Romans 1 with the truth we have from Romans 5. This leads to hating God, hating His Word, hating His rescuing Son, and hating His convicting spirit. If you blame and blaspheme God long enough, you're going to end up hating God all of the good, the best things in life. Not just tolerating, you're going to end up hating and avoiding. Hating anyone that would talk to you about the Lord. This is where it leads. But where does the sure result of our sure salvation lead? If you're on this left side... Will you repent, change your mind about life being unfair? And thank God that life is unfair and trust completely in Christ's death, his obedience, his resurrection, what we see here in this passage. You have to turn from your sin if you're going to trust Christ alone. Ask him for his righteousness. So, where does the right side lead? It leads to loving God, loving his word, loving his rescuing son, loving his convicting spirit. I could add one more here, loving people. It all depends on how you react to God and his truth. If you reject God and his truth long enough, you'll start hating him. You accept God and His truth. Against yourself often, yes. We are often wrong, thinking we're right, and thinking, life's not fair. Right, and it's not fair, but we're so glad it isn't. Like, what? You're crazy. We have to know God. Knowing, loving God changes everything. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are new creations The old way of looking at life is gone and the new way has come. We'll never be the same because God's grace is so powerful to transform us. So then, this week, will you continue praying this week? Five minutes a day. You say, that was too hard. Try three minutes a day. Do something every day along this line. You put the time. You say, five minutes was too easy. That's great. Go 20 minutes You'll have enough to say 20 minutes if you meditate on God's Word. But not doing this as a habit is, is, is hard. When you try five minutes on a treadmill when you have nap, been off of your couch uh, is very hard. But soon five minutes will become easy. It will be nice. So will you continue praying this week, praising God for His salvation? And then looking to witness. I know witnessing is kind of as, as your friend is willing to talk, as you have opportunities. I, I didn't have an opportunity this week. Uh, I'm praying for opportunities. I've got a few people in mind. Uh, but start praying that God will give you an opportunity to witness. And uh, anytime you can get together with an unsaved friend, look for opportunities. I know sometimes at work is not the great greatest time, at lunch, too fast, whatever. Uh, but look for opportunities, pray for opportunities to witness. And if you will keep loving God and his word and his rescuing son and his convicting spirit, you'll want to talk about him to someone who doesn't know him. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that our salvation is unfair. Thank you so much for Christ, knowing that it would be unfair, was not talked out of going to the cross. He despised the shame. He is seated now at your right hand. Thank you so much for him interceding for us. Help us to think like our Savior and not demand that life be fair, but instead thank you that it's not. Thank you so much for our salvation being unfair. Thank you for the tremendous benefits that are ours because of the righteousness and grace and eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ gives. In his name we pray.